0: If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation. If you turn to the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation you're going to be, I think, highly blessed today. Certainly not by my words, but certainly by what the Lord has for us. This particular place in Scripture really um, attacks, if that's a correct word, I'm not sure that that's the correct word. It's the word that just came to me. It attacks the very essence of of those who who refuse to accept Christ, who refuse to look at Him, who refuse to give them, Him, an opportunity to deal within their own lives. We have such a sweet Savior. He is so gracious and so kind. And yet if you look upon the book of Revelation, and especially here the eighth chapter, what you will see is a very harsh reality of what is going to happen from heaven itself upon this earth. And if you'll note in the thirteenth verse, when we come to it, when we read in a moment, it's going to talk about those who dwell on the earth. That's a very, very important phrase. We read it before in chapter six, when those who were martyred for their faith during the great tribulation and stood before the throne of God, they cried out to God, how long, O Lord, O holy and true, will you Will you wait, I don't know if it was wait, but would you um, wait to avenge and judge those who dwell on the earth concerning our blood? Now that was a very poor uh, rendition or saying or quote of that particular verse. We'll read it in a moment. But we're going to talk about those people on the earth and and we're going to see that it is people who just refuse to believe. They reject any idea or notion of God, and He gives them such opportunities to repent. You know, <clears throat> it isn't, it isn't just by chance that, that what we see is happening in this world in which we live today. I mean, they had an earthquake in Virginia. Oh my gosh, they got, you know, that doesn't happen there, you know. And they had this huge earthquake. 5.2. We yawn at a 5.2. <laughs> but they have this earthquake, and, 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 and then all of a sudden this this hurricane comes, Irene, and, and, and we're seeing wars, and we're seeing rumors of wars, and we're seeing uprisings of nations, and, and we're seeing so many signs that are foretelling that God wants, wants us to take a look and see what is happening. These are not just accidents. These are not just coincidences. These are events that are happening, as the Scriptures say they would happen, to reveal God so that we might look at Him. And so I want us to read with, please read with me, the book of Revelation, the eighth chapter, and verses 6 through 13. And what I want you to note while we read is how the environment is disrupted by these four different trumpet judgments that come from heaven to earth. There'll be three more following, but these four come to the earth, come to the ocean, and actually happen in the heavens above so as to show the people the awesomeness of our God read it with me as you perhaps have never read it before, and let's study and see in the next uh, half an hour what God reveals to you and me out of this amazing place in Scripture. Revelation chapter 8 verse 6, The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Verse 7, The first sounded and there came hail and fire "...mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up." Verse 8, "...and then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died." And a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, And then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Verse 12, and then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten, so that a third of them might be darkened, and the day might not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And then in verse 13, John said, I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound As I said to you before, to study this particular place in scripture, what we are seeing is devastating. Each event becomes worse than the last. And as the, as the, the, the eagle proclaimed with a voice, an eagle flying, saying, whoa, Woe, woe to those of you who dwell on the earth because there are three more trumpets that are about to sound. And they become worse as we're going to see in in chapter 9. And then after the trumpet will become seven more judgments on the earth called the bowl judgments. All of this is a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to realize that people will be devastated because of their rejecting our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to pray that God will use you and me to affect as many lives for Christ as possible. I don't want any to perish. I know our Lord says that, I, that everyone would come to repentance. You know, let me just say this in the beginning. I almost forgot it in the last service. It, these are strange times we live in. Hurricanes, earthquakes, wars, um, just economy falling apart. People being just devastated. Uh, last week, Jimmy Campanis, who comes to our first service, told me that his, one of his dearest friends committed suicide who owned a car company. I said, oh, Jim, I'm so sorry. He said, do you know, John? He said, that is, I forget the number he gave me. I think he said 27. It might have been a little more, it might have been less, but I don't think much different than that number. He said there have been twenty seven suicides across the United States the last few years of men who have owned car dealerships that they just have given up hope of of, of making ends meet and they just have taken their lives. People are in despair. What's what, what is there going what is going to happen to them? And and you and I, we have this hope there is absolutely no need for us to be in despair. We have a Savior who loves us and will care for us. So we live in these amazing times and I'm sitting on the couch just the other day and I'm hearing my wife speak about trying to get a a reservation. Uh, You don't need to know all the details. Just that she's talking to this person and I'm I'm listening, kind of half listening, half not, but I'm hearing Hector, Hector this, Hector that. and so all of a sudden, I, I kind of look, and she says, my husband's a pastor, and, and, and he would love to talk to you. I don't know, Hector. And, and, and so she hands me the phone. And she says, Sh- share Christ with him. <laughs> so I said, hello, Hector. <laughs> yes. And he, I said, um, tell me what this is all about. He said, "Oh, well, my wife told me about your website. And that I should go to WWW The Rock, you know, And I said, Yeah. And he says, I want to listen to your messages. And I says, Great. I says, Are you close by? Can you come? He says, Oh, no, I'm in M- Mumbai or Bumbai or something, India. I'm talking to a guy in India. And I said, Hector, do you church anywhere? Oh, no. No, but I've heard about this one. Your wife told me this is Jesus Christ. And so I shared with him, and asked him, Hector what time is it there where you are? And he says, it's four in the morning. And I said, oh do you work all night? And he says yes. And then I says I have a job in the daytime too. And I got a chance to share Jesus Christ with Hector. I got a chance to tell him about our Savior. I have begged for him to, to go online and listen and find a church that teaches the Bible. And, and I would like to tell you that Hector prayed with me. He did not, but he listened very intently. And then I told him, Hector, if you ever want to call, call me, call me and we'll talk. I gave him my number. And I think, how the Lord is so kind. I got to talk to a man in India about Jesus Christ. That blew me away folks. To think that God loves a a gentleman by the name of Hector so much that he would have my wife, just as she does so frequently, talk about Jesus. And then said, my husband's a pastor, you ought to talk to him. And, And she hands me the phone and we get to talk to Hector about our Savior. It's beyond my wildest dream to think that God would trust me that God would trust you or me with a man named Hector, who I wouldn't know if he walked in here, but he entrusted that soul with me and my wife for a moment in time. We live in amazing times. Let's pray for what we just read and then let's, let's ask our Lord to open up our eyes to hear the amazing events that are taking place and how it all ties together. Watch, watch and be in awe. Father please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from Your law. I pray for that man named Hector. I pray that he might find another person there in his neighborhood, his area that loves You and would share with him the same truth that he would come to trust and believe in You. Who knows? Who knows what you have in store for that man named Hector and his family? And Father, who knows what you have in store for each one of us here? We are not just accidents. We're not here by an accident. We're here, Father, because you love us. And, and we need to cherish every person that's here. We cannot be flippant about this hour. We need to study Your Word so as to know what it is You want from us, so that we can take this hour and use it for Your glory. And so, Father, for us to really be blessed, would You move me aside? Just, just make me almost invisible and to the degree, Father, that we would hear from Your heart. And that You might expose Yourself to us and allow us to see the very essence of why we take breath, why we're alive. Oh Father, help us to love you in return. Help us to honor you with our lives. Somehow, some way, that you bring hectares into each one of our lives, somehow, some way, that we might share the wonders of your Son with them. Teach us, Father, so that we might be prepared to do that. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me start by saying there are so many, we have an abundance of people today who are very concerned about our environment. And I think rightfully so. I I have no disrespect for those who want to save our environment because we were told way, way, way back in Genesis when everything began. When God looked at, uh, at Adam and he said to him in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, I want you to rule over everything that moves on this earth. Talking about human beings. Uh, humans are to rule. And then it says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, he looked at Adam and God said to Adam, I want you to cultivate and care for, keep this land. And so it's not unusual that we should care for our environment. The reason I point this out to you is because so many people in protecting our environment have become far more than just concerned about the health and safety of the earth or the animals on it or the plants of our earth. It really has become an issue of idolatry to many. You might ask, idolatry over what? What do you mean? Well it's the worship of Mother Earth. In fact someone came up to me after uh, this first service and said they saw a bumper sticker on a car saying um, save the trees, they are our answer. Well, she said no they're not, while she's driving, looking at that car. Jesus Christ is our answer. She's right. There are so many that want to worship Mother Earth and desire to protect her over the concerns over human beings. Well, the reason I point that out is you're going to see in a moment. But here what we see is God is moving towards the end result of this planet Earth. We're going to see in chapter 21, verse 1, that John is going to see a new heaven and a new earth come upon the scene. And he says he will see that the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. It says in Revelation 21, 1, What we are seeing here in chapter eight is a partial destruction of this earth and the heavens. Each one of the first four trumpets that we read about represent a part of that destruction. You're going to see, as we've just read, the repeated use of the word a third, very important. It indicates that the judgment that is coming upon the earth is not total, it's not, it's not complete there is still more to come. Now there's been a solemn time. In chapter eight we saw in verse one there was about a half an hour of silence. And then we saw in verse four the prayers of all the saints came before God Almighty and he heard these prayers. And then we saw in in verse six because of these prayers our God says now is the time and he ordered to to sound the trumpets. And, And an angel it says in verse five through fire to the earth itself. And the wrath of God now begins in earnest. We we know of this. We knew it was going to happen from Scripture, Old Testament as well as new. Listen to what Luke says. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke and then John. Luke chapter 21 verse 11. Just one verse. Let me read it to you. It says, there's going to be great earthquakes, Luke writes, There's going to be earthquakes in various places along with plagues and famine. And there will be terror and great signs from heaven. These these events have been predicted already in scripture. And so in verse 7 of chapter 8 of the book of Revelation, we see the first trumpet or judgment sounds and terror begins. Hail, fire mixed with blood was thrown to the earth. And as we saw, or as I mentioned, a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All the grass was burnt up. Hail, fire, and blood. They are frequently associated with script- within Scripture of God's divine judgment. The combination of fire mixed with blood was reminiscent and revealed through the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, Joel prophesies, saying, Look, I'll display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fires, columns of smoke. The sun, Joel writes, will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, when, Joel writes, before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. We've been forewarned, of this event. And there are some very striking similarities between what happens in the book of Revelation and what happened to the nation of Israel in in Egypt with Pharaoh. For instance in Exodus chapter 9 verse 25 it says about Egypt that God allowed hail to strike all that was in the field throughout the whole land of Egypt both man and beast. The hail struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. And so what we begin to see is this very sad irony of God's judgment upon those who will not, will not repent, will not listen to his voice. It's a, it's a judgment upon people who refuse, fail to recognize and honor him as creator, choose instead to make God of this earth. Let me show you how that, that is really important to, to know. There's a place in scripture that really impacted my life many years ago. It's in the book of, hold your place here, look at Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts, then Romans. Look at Romans chapter 1. You see, people fail to recognize and honor God when they knew better. listen to what it said. You might want to, oh I don't know, hold this place and read it sometime at your leisure. Kind of really get to feel it. Get to know what it says to your spirit as you read it. Let me read it with you and try to explain some of it. As I say to you this place impacted my life. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 starts off by saying, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. That's a great verse. Everything about God was known. The way it was known is that God himself made it evident evident to mankind verse 20 how well since the creation of this world his invisible attributes his eternal power his divine nature note have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they they who reject him are Without excuse. Folks, there is nobody on the face of this earth that doesn't have an an idea about God. So much so that they can't go to heaven and say, gee, I mean, if you just told me, I would have. No, we are all without excuse. We have seen his attributes. We have seen his power. We have seen all about him. He has made it clear to us. We are without excuse. Now watch. Verse 21, Even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God. They didn't give thanks. Rather, they became futile in their speculations, and in their, few, their foolish heart became darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Well, the Bible says in Psalms 14, 1, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So professing to be wise, these people become fools because they have rejected God. What have they done? Well, look, verse 23. They exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, or birds, or four-footed animals, or crawling creatures. In other words, they started worshiping all of these other things, making these other things their idols, instead of worshiping the one that they knew better, the one who is the Creator. Now I told you a couple weeks ago, if it was not last week, I don't remember, there were three words that I really shunned in Scripture. I think they're the most devastating of words. Is when Jesus Christ was talking to the disciples, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, <clears throat> would not give him any attention. They just wasn't giving him any respect, And so the Lord looked at the disciples and said, leave them alone. You remember we talked about this? Leave them alone. Three of the worst words you're ever going to hear, you just never want to hear God says, leave them alone. Because God is the one who draws you to himself, draws you to this goodness. Leave them alone, he said. They're blind guides leading the blind. They're both going to fall into the pit. Well, here in the book of Romans, the 24th, the 26th, and the 27th or 8th verses are words that are similar. It is that God gave them over. In other words, they wanted to go that way. God says, go. Look, verse 24. Therefore, because they, verse 23, exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for the image in form of either a corruptible man or birds or whatever, Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over in their lusts of their heart to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And in the middle of this this message, Paul writes, Amen. Then he says, in verse 26, Therefore, for this reason, Again, verse 26, God, again, gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of a woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men, committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not seem fit to acknowledge God any longer, verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now listen to verses 29 through 31 and see if it isn't what it is of just a statement of, 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 of the society in which we live today. And I don't care where, it is across the world. They were filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, full of envy, no excuse me, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceitful, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although it says in verse 32, which is an impacting verse in my life, although they knew the ordinances of God that those who practice such things were worthy of death, not only do they do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. In other words, they not only start doing these things, but they also bring other people in to do it with them and give hearty approval. The reason I say that that impacted my life is because I became that type of a man just before I became, by the grace of God, a believer. I was raised in a home that, that morals, my father and my mother had a, they had tremendous morals. And and the way I was living in Hawaii at that time, if my dad came to visit me I would have been ashamed. It would have been nothing like my father had raised me. And not only did I do these things, but I also was becoming just like verse 32. I started getting others, come on, come on in, come on, let's have some fun, you know not only doing it, but giving hearty approval to those who practiced these things. That's why I warn myself, and you can listen in if you want to, I don't let any sin that the Lord, that the Holy Spirit convicts me of, linger in my heart. I I deal with it. I, I don't want to go back to that path ever again. I don't want to go through that slippery slide where God would give me over to the desires of my heart. I don't want the desires of my heart. I want my desires of my heart to be His desires. and I want to follow Him as best and closely as I know how. And so I tell you all of that because this is what has happened to the earth at this time. These people were becoming just evil, rejecting God at every turn. As we're going to see, if you turn back with me please to Revelation chapter 8, we're going to see in time that they will blaspheme God. They will just shake their fist in the face of God and refuse to repent. Well, while the earth's population was still trying to recover from this fire and hail and blood, John then looked in verses 8 and 9 and saw a more terrifying sign of doom. The second angel sounded his trumpet. And in verse 8 we are told the second angel sounded something. John can't even, he can't even explain what it is he uses here a simile. When he says something like, it's not a mountain, it's not a great mountain burning with fire, but it's something like it. And and it's something he's never seen before. So he's trying to write it down so that you and I might understand. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the creatures, in verse 9, which were in the sea, and had life, died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. In Egypt, comparing again what happened when, when Pharaoh would not let the Israel go. In Egypt, in chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, Pharaoh refused to release the children of Israel, and God t- turned the Nile River into blood. Well, here in verse 8 of chapter, uh, chapter 8 of, of the book of Revelation, something like a great mountain burning with fire fell, and a third of the sea became blood. And because of that catastrophe a third of the creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now what it is that is like a burning mountain, I got a, I got a kick out of reading some of the commentaries about it really. I mean they were trying to explain it. We don't know. And, and when I come to something like that I want to give you what, what I think is what sets me free as a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is. It's not a great mountain. It could be a great mountain. It could be anything. God could make anything fall into the sea and do all of that. What I, what I learned from that is not trying to figure out what it is. Is it an asteroid? Some read it, wrote it was. Some wrote it was a meteor. Some said it was an atomic explosion. Listen, it could have been an ant. God could have done it with anything and everything He wanted. And what I come to realize when I come to a place like that is that it is God who is far greater than anyone and anything. And that gives me peace to know that my God is in control of everything. And He can do anything and everything He wishes with this earth because it is all His. And so the first trumpet it fell on land. The second trumpet judgment fell on the sea. Now the third trumpet comes. Wait a minute. Let me just share with you something that, that came across my mind. That It's not scripture. And so I want you to write this down with pencil or think about it. Just think about it. Over and over we see the word blood occurring here. The second trumpet judgment A third of the sea became blood. I'm just wondering, since blood is the essence of life, in the Old Testament as well as the New. In Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, listen. Listen, what, what God says about blood. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And God says, I have given it, blood, to you on the altar to make an atonement. Atonement means a payment. An atonement or payment for your soul because he says it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement or a payment for yours and my sin. In the Old Testament blood was shed from an animal for the forgiveness of sin. In the New Testament it's Jesus. We could have used any number of verses but I chose Romans chapter 5 verse 9 because Paul says much more than having been justified by his blood we shall be saved. And I wrote, how? How will we be saved, Paul? By His blood. And what will we be saved from, Paul? He says, we will be saved by His blood from the wrath of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And So I wondered when I saw all of this blood in chapter 8, if, if God were not showing these unrepented folks through the first and second trumpets the overwhelming significance of blood and the wrath and the ultimate death that comes through rejecting the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now that's just a thought, but I wanted to share it with you because it just overwhelmed me as I was studying chapter eight. So the first two trumpets bring about a devastating judgment on land as well as on sea, which is just the beginning of this final catastrophe that's going to take place. In verses 10 and 11 now the Lord deals with the, the springs of water, the waters that we drink. Look, in the third trumpet it says in verse 10, a third angel and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is called wormwood, and a third of the waters became wormwood. In other words, bitter or poisonous. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Listen, th- they, they needed water to drink and there was no water anywhere. In Lamentations it talks about that he has filled me with bitterness, and he has made me drunk with wormwood. Water and air is the basic to yours and my survival, and a third of the water has been taken away. Can you imagine what this does to the earth? third of the seas turned to blood. Third of the the, the creatures in the sea, dead. Third of the fresh fish now gone too, and fresh water is gone as we know it. It's also reminiscent of the pollution of the Egyptian waters when when the Pharaoh would not let the, the Jewish people go. In Exodus chapter 7 verse 21 it says, The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile, and the blood was running through all the land of Egypt. Verse 24 says, the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, but they could not find water. This is, this is an amazing place in Scripture. It it is a reverse of the miracle of Myra, where the Lord made bitter waters there sweet. Like I said to you, the Lord can do anything He wants. And it's reminiscent of the first plague in Egypt, where all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. And now we come to the fourth angel. Now we have seen signs on the earth, in the ocean, and now all of a sudden the fourth angel sounded, and we see a divine judgment now shifts from the earth to the heavens. In verse 12, in the midst of all of this frenzy comes this new disaster. But this time it's not on land, it's not on the sea, it's in the air. Look, verse 12, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars were smitten so that a third of them would be darkened. Day might not shine for a third of it. And night was in the same way. In other words, night was dark, darker. And it was dark during the day. And one of the commentaries wrote that at this point the loss of heat from the sun on this earth would cause temperatures to plunge drastically all over the world. And Isaiah proclaims this event would take place. As well as Ezekiel, as well as Joel, as well as Amos, as well as the New Testament, Luke and Mark. Listen to Isaiah chapter 13 verses 9 and 10. Isaiah says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and it is cruel. He is coming with fury and burning anger to make the land desolate. He will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. The dimming of the skies, the celestial lights, Sets the stage for a startling announcement. Gloomy and scary for all. Because for everyone to see and for everyone to hear, in the mid-heaven is an eagle. And this eagle is flying, crying out to everyone, Woe! Woe! Verse 13, Woe! Woe to those who dwell on the earth, because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels is about to sound. You know what's interesting here? Many religions today worship stars, moon, sun, mountains, the ocean. In fact, this New Age theology is even reaching its ugly head into the churches across some so-called Bible teaching churches. But what do we see when when we study something like this? Here's what you see. At least you ought to. Jesus shows you and me this wonderful truth, and that is this, that it is He who is control of everything. It is He who made these things, the land, the sea, the waters, the heavens, and it is He who can take them all away or move them at His will. That is our great God. And so verse 13 ends with this very dreadful chapter by sadly stating that there is more to come. More to come to those who dwell on the earth. And that really struck me. When I read that, those words in verse 13, to those who dwell on the earth, I thought, we have read this before. And that was in chapter 6, verse 10, where the people who were before the throne of God were crying out to God, How long, O holy and true, will you wait or will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? I looked in my concordance, and I found that it's not only here in chapter 8 verse 13, it's not only in chapter 6 verse 10, but it is in chapter 11 verse 10, chapter 13 verse 8 verse 12 verse 14, chapter 17 verses 2 and 8, where that term is used to those who, who dwell upon the earth. It is a term for people who refuse to repent and refuse to believe and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it take us to? Well, to me, it took me to Hebrews. The third chapter, the seventh and eighth verse. To those who reject Jesus Christ and are destroyed because they fail to heed God's warning, a warning that He has given to all people, as we've seen in Romans chapter one, there's none of us that are, are, have any excuses. We don't. We know what God wants to do. You have a great idea of what God wants to do in and through your life. Hebrews chapter 3, is it verses 7 and 8? Yes, verses 7 and 8 say this. If you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. If you hear His voice, believer, if He's speaking to you, if something about this message says to you, I need to do A, B, or C, I don't know what it is, you know. Don't harden your heart. Do what God is asking you to do. And know this in your heart, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, and to those who are called according to His purpose. He is not asking you to do something that's going to harm you. On the contrary, He is asking you to do, He is, he is piercing your heart, He is talking to you for your good. And he wants to do something magnificent. I don't know what it is. It could be something as simple as talking to a guy in India that you've never met. But be willing to do what God has called you to do. Now I I hope that we'll all be able to come tonight and pray. Pray for one another. Um, I pray that God touched your heart during this message. Um, He did me during this week, I'll tell you that. Before I pray, I want to tell you how much I love you. Look around. It's a pretty nice crowd. Thanks for being here. Father in heaven, thank you for everybody here. Love them so much. I pray you'll bless this study that we're going through in the book of Revelation. I pray that, Father, that we will recognize and see the majesty of who you are, the greatness of who you are, and not look and see, oh, wow, how cruel. He's treating... These poor people, no, these poor people had every single opportunity. Not only not only did he make things evident to them, he sent them 144,000 Jewish evangelists to try to win their hearts to him. And they refused and they rejected him and they refused to repent. And Lord, that's what happens to mankind who refuses. And so, Father... We as a people who know you and love you, we've got to reach out to our friends. We've got to reach out to our loved ones. We've got to be available. Father, please, touch the people we come in contact with. More importantly, touch us first. May we be all that you want us to be so that we can be all that we need to be in the lives of the people that you bring our way. I pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you folks more than life itself. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you.